Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. First Samuel 18 and 10. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand, as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Therefore, Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people, and David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. What does it mean, him coming in and out before them? It's the same thing we saw in verse 6. When David went out to war and came back, this people saw him off going to war and welcomed him back. When you came back, you obviously won, or because you didn't die. They saw him go in and out. So all Israel loved David because he went out and came in. Guys, we had a king that went out to fight a battle for us, and he's going to come back victorious. Awesome. But... He came back victorious, and this excited everybody, but Saul was so jealous and angry, he couldn't properly see David's leadership abilities like Jonathan did. Jonathan saw it, take my armor. Saul is just not there like his own son is. And so this demonic spirit, it drove Saul to try to kill David more than once. Saul's kind of going a little mad here. I mean, when you get angry, you just, you do stupid things. That's why I try to manage my temper. I know I got one, but I also have grace that tells me to maintain my composure and to maintain the maturity that God gave me. I feel my temper starting to get ready to pop. You you throw on that little grace switch and go, stop it. You're going to do something dumb. (laughs) You're going to regret it. Okay. Saul should have never thrown that spear. There's things we got to do too. You feel yourself getting ready to throw that spear of your temper. Put it down. Don't do it. Show people a believer's behavior, behave wisely. Now, if you notice how verse 16 says that Israel and who? Judah. It specified Israel and Judah loved David. Why was Judah specified? Because this is David's own tribe. It's kind of like if the Houston Texans were to ever win like a Super Bowl, we in Houston would go, that's my team. I'm from Houston. Now, some of you probably don't care about football. I really don't anymore, to be honest. I'm not with the NFL. But there was a time when we had our teams, and if it was your team, they were doing good. You're like, that's our team, okay? The tribe of Judah sees David, and they're like, he's one of us. That's our guy. He's on our team. 
And that's why it specified Judah. And so David's own tribe of Judah, as well as the tribe of Messiah Jesus, here's foreshadowing of Jesus, who is of the tribe of Judah, who would come to save all of us from our sins, is getting special recognition here. We see prophecy starting to develop that was told to come about, right? So you've got this demonically driven hatred trying to murder out of existence all of the prophetic promises of our salvation because the Messiah would come from David's line. Now, who do you think caused Saul to miss when he threw the spear? I think the Lord and the, 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 the demon that was on Saul, you can't be accurate when you're messed up like that. He tried to kill him, but the Lord spared him. When David got away twice, the Lord spared him twice, because there's a lot of prophecy wrapped up in David that would come down to our Messiah. Saul could not stop David. And I want you to take comfort in that, because if God has called you to something, no one and nothing is going to stop you either. Be assured in that. 1 Samuel 18 and 17. Then Saul said to David, Here is my my older daughter Merib. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. Oh, listen to that. Sounds so spiritual. Fight the Lord's battles for me. Come on, Saul. And he says, And fight the Lord's battles for me. For Saul thought, Let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. Saul thinks he's sneaky. He thinks he's trying to outsmart God. (laughs) But Saul is trying to set a trap for David using his daughter as the bait. You ever felt used, like somebody used you to accomplish their agenda and they didn't care what happened to you? That's what Saul is doing to his own daughter. He's trying to draw David into a trap. He used her to to try to get him to go out and fight on the front lines, thinking that eventually somebody's going to kill David off. 1 Samuel 18 and 18. So David said to Saul, Who am I and what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? But it happened at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David that she was given to Edriel, the Mahalathite, as a wife. She was given to somebody else. David's response here, though, was that I'm not suitable to be the king's son-in-law because of his low status. I'm too low to be your son-in-law. He still sees himself as being too low to be able to afford what's called a dowry. He does not have enough to pay for what is called the bride price. David can't pay it. A dowry, a bride price, is a payment that is made by a man to the family of the woman that he wanted to marry as his wife. They paid for her. So whenever a man wanted to marry a girl, the girl's family would have to suddenly recognize that whenever the daughter leaves the home, all the work that she did, all the house cleaning, all the baking, all the field work, all of her productivity was about to disappear. They weren't going to have her anymore because she was going to leave. And so it was proper for the groom's family to pay a bride price because she was going to leave to try to counter to make up for all the work that she did, all the productivity that she did. So her getting married meant that they would lose all the, all the things that she did for the family. And so the father of the son who wanted to marry her would offer the girl's parents a bride price 
a dowry to pay the expense for taking her away with them. And that's why David responded to Saul like this. He responded to Saul's offer by saying, who am I or my father's family? See how he brought Jesse into this. We don't have the money, especially a royal. (laughs) We don't have the money to pay for her what you'll be losing. Who am I? And who are my father's family that I should be your son-in-law? David was saying, me and my family are too small. We can't afford the bride price. We can't pay that dowry. But look at verse 19. It says that Mirab, Saul's daughter, should have. You see that? Should have. Important words. Should have been given to David. Why does it say that, should have? Because back in chapter 17, Saul promised to give his daughter to whoever killed Goliath. David should have done got her. He already did what was necessary to get her. Now Saul's trying to renegotiate new terms. Hey, I'll give you her. Um, David didn't. Remember they were all telling him, oh, whoever kills Goliath gets the daughter. David was up there with Goliath taunting, and David's like, this guy taunts God's people. And all you can think about is what we get. I get the daughter. I get the wealth. I get to be the king's son-in-law. You're not concerned that this guy's making fun of God's people? Isn't that enough? And he went to some other people. What's going to happen when, oh, he's going to get wealth, and he's going to get Saul's daughter? You know? And David's like, you too? <laughs> You're just thinking about your own ambition, your own gain, your own money. and all. This guy's making fun of God's people. Somebody do something. David should have gotten her because that was part of the term, but I don't think that was David's concern because he didn't go to Saul. Okay, I'm here to collect my wife now. Where's she at? Where's she at? He brought the bloody head of Goliath in and plopped him on the floor and says, there you go. That's the way it needs to be done right there. He didn't come in and say, where's my wife? <laughs> I don't think you really turn women on too much coming in with a bloody head in your hands. David had different ways of seeing things. (laughs) David already accomplished what was necessary to get the daughter, but Saul did not follow through on his word. He had already earned Mireb, but Saul was trying to use her as bait to make David fall into his trap. But it did not work. Did it? Because David already said, I cannot afford the bride price. Me and my family were too low. So this was basically a murder plot that didn't pan out the way Saul wanted it to. So now in 1 Samuel 18 and 20. Now Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. So Saul said, I will give her to him that she may be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, You shall be my son-in-law today. And Saul commanded his servants, Communicate with David secretly and say, Look, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Hear the flattery. Ooh, everybody likes you. Oh, I'll do anything now. And all his servants love you. Now, therefore, become the king's son-in-law. Verse 23, so Saul's servants spoke those words in the hearing of David. And David said, does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing I am a poor and lightly esteemed man? And the servants of Saul told him, saying, in this manner, David spoke. Then Saul said, thus you shall say to David, the king does not desire any dowry. 
Okay, he's changing things up a little bit. He knows he's trying to push David's buttons, okay? The king does not desire any desire any dowry, but 104 skins of the Philistines. I know y'all are just like, what? <laughs> but 104 skins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. Okay, there's no kids in the room. Yeah, there are. But anyway, for those of you who understand what Saul just said, <laughs> um, you know good and well that this is quite the way to make a bunch of men really, really mad. And that's going to make them fight like they ain't never fought before. Send somebody out to cut off their foreskins, and that'll make men fight as viciously as they have ever fought. Saul's like, I got David this time. He's going down. <laughs> and so he thinks this is sure, a sure thing to get David killed. And so since David was adamant about staying away from any dowry, Saul switched gears. He found the one way to make David think he was getting the king's vengeance for him. But why did Saul ask for that? Why did Saul ask for a hundred foreskins? I mean, aren't there other ways? Bring me a hundred Philistine thumbs or something. Why that? Saul is trying to use some lingo that David has brought up before. He's trying to get to David's concerns. If you remember what David said about Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, 26, this is a very key thing here. David said of Goliath, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So Saul knows that that is a concern of David. This guy's uncircumcised. He has no right to be defying God's people. And so Saul thinks, aha, I'll use David's concern to try to get David to do this. Saul thought this would be just the way to draw David in. Let's get vengeance. I'll tell him I want vengeance. I'll make that story up. David, I want vengeance on the Philistines. And since you were concerned about this uncircumcised Philistine, why don't you go bring me back a hundred foreskins so that the, the reproach and the insult that they'd put on us, we're going to put back on them. See what Saul's doing? Sneaky dog. Saul is trying to push the right switches and buttons to make David react since the dowry bait did not work. 1 Samuel 18, 26. So when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. Now the days had not expired. Therefore, David arose and went, he and his men, and killed 200. What was the original number? 100. 200. Okay. David went out and he killed 200 men of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins and they gave them in full count to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him Michael, his daughter, as a wife. Can you just imagine the look on Saul's face? When David walked back in, he throws this bag down on the table <laughs> we all have to react here for a minute. <laughs> I'm just thinking 99, 100, 101, 102, 103. I'm acting like I'm dealing cards here. I shouldn't do that. Um, Saul, can you say backfire? 
You're trying to take on God and you can't. Oh. After that, I just got to read on. Let's go. I'm not going to elaborate on that. You've, you've pretty well got it. 1 Samuel 18, 28. Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was still more afraid of David. Hello, wouldn't you be? He was more afraid of David. So Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines went out to war. And so it was whenever they went out that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. Everybody wants to be highly esteemed, but are you willing to behave wisely? There's the trade-off. Now I want to do my own thing. Then you're not going to be highly esteemed, at least not in God's kingdom. Again, this message tags right into last Sunday about taking the lowest seat, thinking of yourself as lower than others rather than being prideful because God opposes the proud, Saul, but gives grace to the humble, David. Saul is so hell-bent on killing David that he used his own daughters making promises to them and to David for the purpose of a murder, of killing David off. And the more Saul used and manipulated people to get his way, the more popular David became. I know people that are manipulators. They will throw everybody under the bus to try to make themselves better. Guys, you got a reckoning coming with the Lord God for thinking that you're better than everybody else. You're not. Don't think of others as lower than you. You think of yourself as lower than them. Honor them and God will honor you. To think that our entire culture today tells you to promote yourself. You can do it. You can accomplish anything you put your mind to. No, you can't. Not until God steps in. I was trying to do that. I was trying to accomplish my high stature. God come and put a stop on every bit of it. Don't push for your own agenda, for your own benefit, for your own gain. David is on his way up. Saul is on his way down. We see this being played out. Now, some key points we see in this chapter, it's fascinating to me how the man who hated David is the very one who was positioning David for greatness. (laughs) Do you hate somebody? I want to ask the people, anybody, if, if I say, do you hate someone, probably a face or two pops up in your head. I can't stand this guy. But if you orchestrate yourself to take that guy down, do you realize you might actually be working God's will to bring him up and yourself low? That's what's going on with Saul. Be careful what you do. I hate that guy. I'm going to do this to him, and I'm going to set it up where he looks like a moron. I'm going to set him up for failure because I want to watch him fall. You might be the one that falls. Remember Haman tried to take out Mordecai, who hung on the gallows. Haman hung on the very gallows that he built for Mordecai. And so basically what's going on here, Saul was positioning David for greatness. But I want to ask you really what was going on here. It was the Lord who positioned David and instructed even the man who hated David to be the instrument of building him up. Only God can do that, guys. Acts 17 and 26 says, And he, the Lord, 
He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Why? So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Why I put that in there is because just like how David was positioned by God, so is each one of us. We are all positioned by God. Where we live, where we work, the period of time when you showed up on this earth to the time you leave, all of that has been set by God for the purpose of getting you to look for Him. You are where you are because God assigned you there to look for Him in some kind of way. He set up circumstances around you to get you to look at His holiness and His righteousness. And we see that happen with David here. If you're a believer, where you are before unbelievers, you're before them so that they can discover Jesus through you. If you're an unbeliever, either way, your placement where you're at is for the Lord's purpose. You may hate where you're at, but if it's for someone else's benefit, then you should serve and submit to the authority that's over you. Very. Unique perspective, isn't it? Don't complain about your coworkers. Don't complain about who you're around. Don't complain about your pay. We got to learn to see the bigger picture of why I am where I am. Because God has a placement on my life. You're here for this time right now because I have a plan that doesn't just involve you. It involves a lot of other people around you. And this is your place to submit and serve. We have to be willing to behave wisely where he's placed us. We are positioned to serve his will. And your move up or down is dependent on whether you're going to be proud or humble. If you're seeking honor for yourself like Saul was, or if your heart is selfless and after the Lord's heart like David's was. Now, another point in the story is focused on David's behavior. David didn't act like everybody else. It says he behaved more wisely than everybody. That's holiness, guys. That's being different from everybody else. And you're going to stick out like a sore thumb. And you're going to have people go, what is with you? You're odd. But you know what? They'll see Jesus through you. Don't get offended when they say, you're weird, dude. Let them see Jesus. They'll get over it. They'll, They'll see what you're doing. He didn't act like everybody else did. But the word of God says that David was wise and he was also being promoted up. That's what people are going to start seeing. It's like, that Ray guy is weird, but why does things always turn out for him all the time? I don't get it. (laughs) Because I'm doing what God tells me to do, and it doesn't always come as nicely as you think. It comes with a lot of cost. I had to leave where everything I had, like David did. I had a life before this. I've got a better life, and you will too if you'll repent and turn and follow the Lord. You'll have a better life than the one you're trying to pursue. Trust me, It's better. He can give you a better one than you think you're going to get. But you cannot invent your own wisdom. David got this behavior from the wisdom of the Lord. You can't invent your own wisdom. You can't get anywhere with it. How do you get this kind of wisdom that shows you how to behave wisely? James 1.22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. A modern way of saying this is to say, don't just hear the word, do what it says. Thank 
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.